0: So I want to introduce you to, uh, to Ryan and Mike. And uh, I've known uh, Mike for a long time. And Mike, you've, you've just always had this history of meeting with other guys and, and building relationships. So how did you guys start your friendship together?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for having us this morning. and Give us a few minutes to talk about our friendship. And um, many of you, if not most of you or all of you by now, realize there's a little disparity in our age here. And uh, that may be raising a question and we'll... Uh, uh, you are very observant, <laughs> let me put it that way. Well, um, over the last seven to eight years, Ryan and I have spent a lot of time together. And it's most weeks, in fact, we're pretty regular about it. And uh, it's always just the two of us. And uh, we just, um, we hang out together, and it's always one-on-one, as I said. Um, we become great friends. Well I first uh, met Ryan uh, about ten years ago I was helping my uh, uh, high school grandson network, just college research and so on and and Ryan was real real helpful to him and that kind of started us sparked us a little bit and then um, he was was also working for a couple of really good friends of mine who are some key leaders here in the church so uh, I took note of Ryan. I thought, geez, he's so sharp and he's so easy to be with. And uh, let's do some coffee sometime, and I'll let him take it from here.
2: Yeah. Well, Mike's being very kind there. Um, But as he mentioned, uh, and I'm glad he struck up the conversation as, as we got to know each other because I was working for a company right out of college. I went to UC and even had the chance to intern with them while I was at UC. And uh, I'd see Mike in and out of the office a lot of times on Horizon Business. And we'd say hi, and then there became a moment where we kind of, something clicked. We had this aha moment that first we realized we were both huge Bearcat fans. Uh, so instant connection there. And, uh, and then the second we had a, a, another mutual connection through an honorary fraternity we were in at UC together. So I knew a lot of the same names, same people. Uh, but that was really kind of the, that launching ground for us and uh, we, we started having those conversations, I met with Nathan, um, and then I had a, a really encouraging boss at, at the company that I worked with, and uh, he caught wind, and he knows Mike well, uh, that we, we had started to, to strike up a relationship, and one day I was walking by his office and he pulled me in and he said, hey, I just, I just want to make sure you're paying special attention to the fact that Mike has, has found an interest in you. And, um, don't, don't let that go by the wayside. And uh, I'm glad he did that because um, I took that to heart. And uh, what, you know, as my life continued kind of progressing in career, uh, eventually I went to Notre Dame, got my MBA. And it was in that period where some of my key relationships in Cincinnati were a bit on pause because just geographically I was elsewhere. And uh, Mike was one of the few that kind of deliberately kept in touch over those times. And we'd talk, you know, every, every couple of months. And then eventually it became, you know, every couple of weeks as I was trying to solidify kind of post-MBA plans. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad that we were able to, to do that. But um, the funny thing was always, there, I, I never felt like there was anything in it for Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still
1: looking. I... <laughs> yeah, so. Well, uh, the basis for my friendship with Ryan had its roots way back in my 30s. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. a long time. Obviously, long before Ryan was even Ryan. I'm going to do a little flashback, and while it's not uh, per se directly about Ryan, it's also everything about Ryan and our connection. In my mid 30s, I made the conscious and life-changing decision to follow Christ. It turned my world upside down and our family's world upside down uh, in so many wonderful ways. Well, I had a myriad of questions to ask uh, mostly centered on how do I live out this Christ following life. Um, I'm a business guy and I like to have a plan. So after a few months, I felt this huge need to um, know more, especially in a very practical sense. So one day, I, at church, I met a guy by the name of John, and I told John what I just told you basically. And uh, he smiled and said that uh, he's been praying that I would ask him for help. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, I knew I needed help, but I'm sure I w- didn't think I wanted to admit it <laughs> to anybody. And so um, that's, that was the beginning of our relationship. Uh, uh, John and I started meeting one-on-one, just the two of us at his house every week. Uh, in the evening, and um, we talked in depth about kind of the, the good and the bad and the otherwise of life, okay? he had tremendous uh, transparency and honesty right off the bat. In fact, it was uh, probably not so comfortable at first, uh, but before long, we had this, got to this point where I, I trusted him explicitly, and, uh, and he felt the same way about me. Uh, He called this doing life together, and really that's what I needed. I I really wanted that. I wanted to do life in the context of being a Christ follower, too. Well, the contents of our discussions was always uh, applying the Bible to life. Uh, He had opinions, and he gave me his opinions, but he always looked and said, well, let's see what God has to say about that. Well, and a strong uh, friendship uh, ensued. It went on for years. In fact, I talked to him on the phone today. I mean, this week he had a big surgery on Monday. So Mm. we are literally lifelong friends. Um, Anyway, fast forward many years and what the story I just told you, you could take my name and pull it out. And I believe we could put Ryan's name in there. Uh, We have a a deep and abiding
2: relationship and I'll let him tell you a little bit more about that. Well, I think it's, it's that concept of doing life together that is so key. And uh, in our weekly meetings and then you know, just when we're, we're talking with one another throughout the week, uh, it's really about having a deep understanding of where both of us are coming from, uh, our own backgrounds, our own experiences. But then also kind of the desire to share that with others and, and play a role in their life the same way that John played a role in Mike's life and Mike is playing a role in my life. And uh, you know, back to you know, is Mike getting anything out of this? You know, I had a lot of guilt. You know, like I felt like, <laughs> no. you know, I, I I was getting more out of the relationship, and then you know, it came to this realization that you know, in a friendship, there's no ledger to balance, hmm. and it's not that's that's not what it's about. It's about are we getting the best out of one another as friends? Hmm. And I think on a weekly basis, Mike and I challenge and hold each other accountable to that. Uh, and what started as kind of an exploration of scripture and. And how to lead, you know, a Christ-following uh, life, you know, has really turned into how can we influence other men, other people in our circles to to, to find friendship, but also fulfillment. Uh, and you know, I'm I'm a huge believer that God has strategically placed people in my life from from the beginning, and uh, I'm I'm not always aware of that, you know. So you have to you have to you have to have eyes and ears open to that. But mm. Mike is one of those. Those, those men, those people, and um, I'm very thankful that we have our, our friendship.
0: Yeah, and I've often joked that uh, almost everybody in Cincinnati is about five degrees from Mike Marker because <laughs> Mike has met with dozens and dozens and dozens of people, one-on-one for years at a time. And Mike just want to let you know today that if, if you're interested in asking questions, uh, doing life, having one lunch, see if it even connects, he'd be delighted to, to meet with you and uh, see if there's a connection there. So. Can we thank these guys for being here today? Man, yeah, thank you for thank your friendship, you. and thanks thank for you. sharing, man. Appreciate it. You know, when you think about friendship, you get to kind of see what it looks like firsthand. Um, and it happens in all kinds of places. You know, often it happens at counters, right? It's a kitchen counter. Friendships are formed. Husbands and wives, between kids and, and their friends across the street. A counter can be a place to encounter friendship, a place to encounter different perspectives. How do we create moments or places where we can counter and encounter um, real friendship? One of the stories I read recently that was pretty striking to me was the friendship of Winston Churchill with FDR. I kind of knew they knew each other. Obviously, I knew we, we ended up going into the war, but I didn't realize how deep their friendship was. So much so that between the two of them, they sent 2,000 handwritten notes between the two of them during their friendship. <laughs> That's a lot of writing. I don't know who I've ever written 2,000 notes to. If you think about all the busyness of being a prime minister or, or, or being a president, they spent 200 full days with one another, including they try to spend time with their families together on Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve every year they could. And most historians think it was out of this friendship. And even though they disagreed, and they had both very strong personalities, and they did not always agree on what the right thing to to do was, but it was in that friendship, it was in the counting of those different perspectives, it was in the way in which they trusted each other and learned to trust each other, that maybe they saved the whole world from Nazi Germany. Because Winston Churchill would eventually call and say, listen, there's no way that we can stop this without your help. It was out of this friendship the whole world was changed. And both of them spoke about how in their friendship, being around someone else who was a leader, it just made them wiser. It made them sharper. That's what I want to talk about today. You know, friendship is a place where sharp people can get sharper. And the Bible just says this is a principle you can apply whether you believe in God, whether you believe in Jesus. This is just true. This is observed wisdom. Friendship is a place where sharp people can get sharper because you're on other perspectives. So I' want to give you three ways that we can get sharper, so that we can be the best we can be by being around other people with different perspectives, different ages, different personalities, to bring out the best in us and help us see areas we might be blind to. But that begins with number one: Are we inviting sharpening into our life? I don't think it's intuitive. I don't think it's intuitive to say, did I get that wrong? Am I off base here? And yet it's the sharp people who know to ask that question. It's a leader named Solomon. He was writing about how he sharpened his skills over time as an engineer, as an architect, as a king. He said, if you rebuke a wise man, he's going to love you. Man, thanks for having the guts to tell me what you thought I needed to hear. Whether you agree or don't agree, he loves the fact you're trying to sharpen him. If you give instruction to a wise man, he will be still wiser because he's humble enough to hear things that he may not agree with and ask, could that be true? Or even suggest, maybe I'm wrong. He gets wiser. Teach a just man and he increases in learning. Contrast that with a proud man. Proud people can be very talented, but they got a lid because they never can learn from their mistakes and they can never learn beyond what they already know. So there's this real well-traveled idiom from the Bible. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. There's something wonderful about having different people in your life that can sharpen you, make you stronger. But you've got to invite that sharpening. Even if you have friends in your life, they may not know that you're open to sharpening because of the way you react or that story you told or the way that you always need to be right. You need to invite sharpening into your life. I mean, ask yourself, when you think about the way you talk to your colleagues or your boss or your kids or your parents or your spouse, do words like this ever come out of your mouth? Hey, uh, can I run this by you? Get your perspective. Hey, here's what I'm thinking, but can you push back on this idea? Maybe poke holes in what I'm thinking? See how that opens you up to say, I'm open. Here's what I'm thinking, I feel pretty strongly about it. Can you help me see any blind spots I might have in this? How much better would our marriages be if we brought a little humility in and saw how both of us could sharpen each other? How much better even as parents, instead of just always telling our kids we know better than them, to ask their perspective on what we could do better? They know all our (laughs) mistakes, I promise you that. And vice versa. What if kids actually turned to their parents and said, Hey, could you push back on that? You'd probably fall over, jaw drop, and and you'd probably pass out, right? Oh my goodness, I can't believe my kid asked me my opinion. But there's something beautiful about that. In fact, one of the things we do as a church is that every week we have a meeting where we actually review all of our services and all of uh, our teachers with about 20 different points that we talk about. So we talk very open, honestly, about seven or eight of us, um, depending on you know, who's there that day, and we just go through and give each other feedback. And I've shared with several of the leaders that you know, every week I have five or six people critique me and, and like, really? I think you're pretty good by now. Well, okay, but I want to deliver my best presentations next week, next month, next year. I can't see my blind spots. And if I can get around people I trust, they can sharpen me. Doesn't mean I always agree. Doesn't mean I can always do it all. But I want to hear other people's perspectives. I had one leader tell me he was gonna come speak one time at our church. And I said, well, could I give you some feedback? No, 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 I speak all the time. Well, the problem is that the bar for speaking is so low, it's easy to look good when you're not. And he says, I speak all the time. And he did and he pretty much read us his PowerPoint for 30 minutes and it was boring and terrible and we didn't invite him back, but he doesn't know. He doesn't know, because he doesn't need any feedback. I'm not a huge NFL fan, but uh, I got a chance to talk to Vance uh, Johnson several years ago from the, uh, from the Broncos, and he shared his story. He got famous because he with the three amigos, of the three amigos he got famous with. He ended up uh, you know, winning three Super Bowls. But the whole time, even though he had three amigos in his life, he was hiding all kinds of dysfunction. He kind of got too much money too quickly, And besides some domestic abuse and the way he was handling his relationships, he also became a compulsive gambler, could never quite get enough adrenaline rush. His addiction to gambling and anger became so bad. If you can imagine, if you're in the NFL, you've, you've spent your whole life trying to get a Super Bowl ring. He had so wasted so much of his life on addiction and drugs and gambling, he eventually had to pawn the Super Bowl ring to pay off a portion of his debt. But it was some guys on his team who saw him on this path who introduced him to God and to Jesus. As he learned about Jesus, he learned a a God who could still love him and care about him despite the terrible things he did. And he started learning how to change his ways, uh, to, to see the error of his ways and take responsibility for it. He even went on the Oprah show, and he actually took responsibility and apologized and and made amends to some of the domestic violence he'd done to his previous wife. So I called him up about three or four years ago, and I just began to hear his story. He said, yeah, I just wish those friends, those three amigos and others in my life, I wish I could have heard it. I had people who cared about me, but I just couldn't listen. But now he says, I'm open (laughs) to any way that my friends want to speak into my life. He invites sharpening into your life. It's powerful. It makes marriages better. It makes families better. It creates a a way in which your company no longer is a lid because you're not, the lid is not your pride. You need to be right. Your lid is now, how can we all be the very best? And we believe that whatever feedback we give each other is because we're trying to improve everyone, even when we disagree. So invite sharpening into your life. Number two is you got to be willing to move a lot of dirt to move some gold if you want to sharpen. If you get around any of us, all of us look really good from a distance, but you get close to us and you start finding out, I got idiosyncrasies, I got bad habits, I got things that will annoy you, ask my wife. I got all kinds of things, that I look really good from a distance. But up close, if you really want to be sharpened, you got to be willing to look past dirt to find gold. Andrew Carnegie had 43 millionaires working for him in his day. There wasn't that many in the world. How did they all start working for him? So a news reporter came up to him and said, how in the world did you get so many millionaires? He said, well, they weren't millionaires until they started working for me. He said, here's the secret to leadership. Men are developed the same way gold is mined. When gold is mined, several tons of dirt must be moved to get an ounce of gold. But you don't go into a mine looking for dirt. You go in looking for gold. You don't look for flaws. You look for gold, not dirt. Friendship's about that. I want to find the gold. I want to develop. Find what's best in you and best in me. And and be willing to move a lot of dirt. We had some things we disagreed on. We had to learn how to kind of get around that. We had to learn how to... But to develop that kind of friendship. So let me tell you about two friends in the Bible. Uh, One guy's name is Saul. And Saul... Really, he had the best pedigrees, he went to the best schools, he kind of did it all. He knew all the protocols to go to Caesar Augustus and all the Roman things. He he got a Roman citizenship, which was almost impossible to get, except that his father or grandfather probably did all the tent making for Mark Anthony. So, very well known. And in that, he decided that he was going to see the followers of Jesus as a problem. He began to get letters and papers and authority to kill them off. And all of a sudden, he has this encounter in his life... (laughs) Well, he starts seeing the blind spots, and maybe he was wrong about a lot of things. And God, in kind of a crazy story, appears to him and says, hey, Paul, Saul, the people you're persecuting are friends of mine. And Paul becomes a follower of Jesus and changes his name from Saul to Paul. Now Paul wants to join the disciples. <laughs> are you going to let that guy into your club, the guy who's been killing off all your friends? No. So here's what the story picks up. So Saul had come to Jerusalem. He's trying to join the disciples, the people he'd been killing for the last couple years, and they were afraid of him, no duh. But Barnabas. Barnabas is this fellow leader who is equally kind of concerned about Paul's past, but he's willing to move a lot of dirt. And Saul is a Paul is opinionated. Paul sometimes isn't the best speaker. One time he preaches so long that somebody falls out a window and dies. He's so boring. Uh, he, he's definitely got some, some issues. Sometimes he, if you're going to diagram his sentences, it's like, you know, five paragraphs run on sentences. He's a lawyer and a, and a religious leader all put together. Um, but Barnabas was willing to move a lot of dirt to sharpen him. So he took Paul, his name's now Paul, and brought him to the apostles. And Barnabas speaks on his behalf. I've talked to him. I've interviewed him. I met with him. Yeah, he's got some, (laughs) some sharp edges, a lot of dirt. But he told me how he encountered Jesus on this road. He had seen the Lord on the road and how he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. I saw him not only not attacking Jesus' followers, talking about his experience. I think I want to develop him. I think I want to build a friendship with this guy. So Barnabas and Paul spend multiple years together getting to know each other, and Barnabas is refining him and speaking into his life and developing him. So they go into this Greek city, you know, all following the gods of Zeus and Demeter and Hades and and, and Poseidon and all that. And they would often hear from other religions or philosophies. And so Barnabas and Saul get up there to speak, now Paul, and they're so powerful in their oratory, his story is so compelling... That when the, when the Greeks and Romans who do not believe in Yahweh and do not believe in the God of the Bible, and they don't believe in Jesus, but they call Barnabas Zeus. Man, that guy can speak. Man, that guy has a presence. Zeus. And they call Paul, his buddy, Hermes, who is a speaker for the gods. Now they're quick to say that they're not gods, but their friendship is so close-knit that people who watch it can see the power of their friendship. Because Barnabas was willing to move a lot of dirt that Paul will write most of the New Testament, which will shape all of Western civilization and turn the Roman Empire upside down because Barnabas was willing to move a lot of dirt for Paul. And yet, they will fiercely disagree. And they will particularly disagree on someone else who needs you to move a lot of dirt to find some gold. See Barnabas has a cousin. His name is Mark Anthony, John Mark. Sometimes they call him John Mark, and John Mark's also got some rough edges. He's also got some areas of, of concern needs to be developed. And Barnabas, like he did with Paul, is willing to develop John Mark. Paul is kind of Mister Efficient. You know what? He made a mistake. We're done with him. And Barnabas is like, Hey, I developed you. Why don't we develop him? And they have a serious disagreement. And then in that, I want to show you how Christianity offers a type of bond even in the midst of fierce disagreement. All right, so we tell you the story. We'll go to the third thing. Part of what Christianity offers is the ability to subordinate your differences to a deeper truth. Rather than building your friendship on whether or not you agree on Apple versus Windows, whether you agree on whether or not, you know, it's red state or blue state, You can have fierce disagreements as friends, but you're anchored to something deeper that holds you together. There's something that despite how different we feel about this and this and this and this, wow, we're subordinated to a greater truth. So let me walk you through this conflict they have about about John Mark. Here's how it goes. Number one, then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit our brethren in every city. They had created some friends in lots of cities, monstrous cities, the New York and Chicago of its day. Corinth and and Ephesus. Let's go back to our friends and help them be equipped to do what they need to keep growing. That's what they want to do. Where we preach, go back one, where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So what is the word of the Lord? So it's helpful here to know the main message of the Bible. The main message of the Bible is no matter what you and I disagree on, no matter what we agree on, we all face a common enemy. We're all going to die one day. That's a pretty equaling truth. And no matter what we do, we're not going to be able to defeat death. Oh, we can extend it, but we can't defeat it. So God came to earth to die on our behalf and raised himself from the dead so that when we die, if we trust in him, he will raise us from the dead. Well, that becomes a pretty substantial truth. We may not agree on blue state or red state. We may not agree on windows or, or apple, but you know what the most important thing in our life is? We're all facing death, we couldn't fix it ourselves, and someone fixed it for us. That greater truth allows all other differences to subordinate itself. That will be important in a second. All right, second part of their friendship. So Barnabas is determined, look at that word, determined to take with them John called Mark. Hey, that's my cousin, we want to develop him just like he developed you. But Paul insisted... Passions are high. He insisted they should not take him with them because he had departed from them on a previous trip. He showed himself not worthy. (laughs) Fool me once, you're done. The contention between these two friends becomes so sharp that they parted from one another. That's it. Obviously, we're not going to agree. So we've all seen friends like this. You think, well, they're never going to talk to each other again. Clearly, they hate each other. This is just another one of those sad stories. You're going to find out, despite this conflict and these passionate pleas, they still have a deep, abiding friendship, because what they have in common even extends beyond their passionate differences. Let me play it out a little bit further. Show how it goes. Third thing. So Paul is going to be writing years later, and you'd think, well, he must hate John Mark. He must be really mad at Barnabas. Think he made the wrong decision. And Paul's writing to a group in this big church called this big city called Corinth. He says, guys. Let's not make a big deal about who brought you the message. Some people say, oh, I am a Paul. He's the one that told me about this message. Other you say, well, I followed a guy named Apollos. Some of you might say, I'm a Barnabas or I'm a Peter. He says, guys, let's remember the main truth. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? He's coming back to this idea. The thing we have in common, someone needed to die to defeat death and we couldn't do it is more important than who gets credit for what, who's right about what. And even talking about John Mark, who he felt so strongly about, even later on he'll write a letter and he'll be encouraging toward John Mark. They still have a relationship despite this disagreement. He writes, Now, Articus, my fellow prisoner, greet you. He's kind of writing this whole thing about everybody he's working with these days that, that wants to say hi. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you receive instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. So even later on, despite their differences and this major issue, they're still friends and they're still working together later. Think of Christianity like boot camp, right? You ever had somebody goes to boot camp? When you come to boot camp, people come all different states. Yeah? You have Caucasians and blacks and Hispanics, all different races are coming, all different perspectives are coming, all different cuisines are coming. But while you're in boot camp, all of those things subordinate to a greater truth. Someone might try and kill us. (laughs) We're in boot camp and we got to have each other's back to protect each other's life. And all of a sudden, it's not like you suddenly don't have opinions about politics, don't have opinions about the state you're from, don't have opinions about whatever your preferences are or your, your cultural differences. But in boot camp, all of those things subordinate themselves to the greater mission of our common enemy of death, and our common mission of life. Christianity is like boot camp. It gives you something to anchor to that even when you differ severely, you have more in common than all the differences you have combined. So here's what Paul writes. This is the fourth part of their friendship. And you see how they subordinate these differences they have to this common idea Different perspectives don't require you to have identical opinions. Barnabas and Paul do not have identical opinions. So Barnabas decides, you know what? In this case, we disagree. It's just not good for us to work together this time. We don't have to be resentful. We don't have to be bitter. We don't have to have destroy our whole friendship. But for right now, we disagree. So Barnabas took Mark and they sailed to Cyprus. And they began to build some leadership and build some friendships and build some teams. But Paul chose another guy named Silas, and they departed, being commended by the brethren. All the friends said, that's a good plan. You guys disagree. Just two different plans here. And they went through Syria and Sicily, strengthening the churches. And ultimately, the whole world gets gets impacted by them going on two different routes before they come back together. I mean, don't, don't you get kind of tired in the world today why people are willing to divide families and friendships over every little thing? Like, have you ever met anyone who agrees with you on even 50%, 70%? No, the more you get to know people, you find out we got different perspectives, our family system, the way we grew up. Why do we have to divide on everything? It's because we don't have a greater truth to anchor to. My uh, my aunt, who lives in Seattle, is a bit of a red state person. And my cousin, Michelle, who is very much a New York blue state person, They have been friends for decades, decades. So much so that when Michelle's brother died, another one of my cousins, Merrick, he died at a very young age of a terrible medical thing. And man, I saw them grieve with each other and be with each other and connect with each other because their bond of family and grief and love for Merrick was far more important than their differences. Until about five years ago, when they found out they disagreed on politics. And this time, politics was more important than families or grief or 30 years of friendship, and they haven't talked to each other since. One wants a relationship. The other can't imagine ever talking to someone who had that perspective. I've shared the story before during COVID that a good friend of mine who uh, did not go to her daughter's wedding. Her daughter's wedding because her daughter wanted her to wear a mask all kinds of different opinions on masks. But shouldn't family and a connection be more important than where you come down on masks? It's like our culture is longing for the type of friendship that gives us a deeper truth that all these other things we can disagree on, but they subordinate themselves to something greater. My dad and I have a great relationship with my dad. But I've just learned my dad and I probably shouldn't ever work together. (laughs) Because how he works and how I work are just not real compatible. And his way truly is superior. My need to go fast, his attention to detail could be very, very collaborative, but it's not. So we just know that we can best enjoy our relationship by having certain parts of our relationship. That's just not the best use of our time. That's just not the best use of our relationship. And that's okay. Friendship doesn't involve having to agree on everything or do everything the same way. But it does mean that sharp people like Barnabas and Paul can say, because we've got something in common, let's disagree on, on how far you develop people, what's good boundaries, what, what, what's too much help, what's, what's reinforcing this person's mistake. Sharp people can get sharper, but it requires one big thing. Sharpening requires you to have softer steel. If you want to have sharpened steel on that knife, it needs to be softer steel. Because the way you sharpen, my dad used to have a grinder, he was always sharpening his knives. And the reason you can sharpen a knife is because that sharpened knife came from softer steel. This knife is softer than that grinder, which allows it to sharpen it, to knock off edges. So the question is, is your heart, is your perspective, is your mind, is your mode of operation soft enough to take feedback? Am I humble enough to invite sharpening? Not most people aren't. I need to be right. I need to look better than I am. What what if people don't see me the way I see myself? Most of us, we can't handle. We're not soft enough. We think soft is bad, but actually soft is how you sharpen yourself. You need to be soft enough that that grinder can make you sharper. Sometimes we're sharp enough to invite sharpening in our life. We're soft enough. However, we're not soft enough to actually take the sharpening. Yeah, I took some good feedback. I'm not going to do any of it, but thank you so much. Am I soft enough to invite sharpening, but also soft enough to take sharpening? Let me again show you why Christianity offers such a unique perspective. Christians believe that the God of the universe who controls all things, who does all things, who's all-powerful, worthy of all credit for everything, that person. And the Bible says that person came to earth in the form of a man to put our needs ahead of his own. And actually, when Paul's writing in Philippians, he says, and he God humbled himself to become a person and then humbled himself to die on a cross because our need for forgiveness was important, more important than his need to be right, his more important than his need to be comfortable. And not just death, Paul says, but death on a cross. If you've ever seen the research on the Romans invented crucifixion as a torture device to make it as your death as long and miserable as possible so people would see and of all the times in history God chose to come to earth according to Christianity he came during the time when crucifixion was in vogue I'd be like if I'm Jesus I'm like hey I'm thinking uh, I'm thinking uh, 2020 I'm thinking something like, like you know uh, some kind of like more humane way to die but Jesus wanted to demonstrate to us how humble he is. You just see him talking to his friends. Hey, guys, I mean, I'm having a tough night. I need some people to pray for me. I'm going through a tough thing tomorrow. I'm going to be taken into prison. Could, could you pray with me? Could you encourage me? Could you help me? He's around other friends, and friends are going through a time they've just lost a buddy, and, and Jesus comes and he weeps with them. You just see this incredible softness. And that's what makes Jesus so, such a dichotomy. Here's a guy claiming to be God before Abraham was I am. Oh, I saw all the spiritual beings fall at the beginning of time. Those are some pretty bold claims. And then when everybody's arguing, who's the most important? Who's going to be the leader of this movement? Jesus gets down. These people come in the door with their dirty, disgusting, walk-across-Jerusalem feet. And he says, come here. I want to wash your feet. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to help you. The son of man, which is a term he comes from the Old Testament, meaning I'm God, didn't come to be served, but to serve. And that is why when you begin to wrestle with the claims of Jesus and maybe think about how to incorporate those claims in your life, it brings a softness. Not a lack of strength, the softness that lets you get sharper because sharper steel starts with softer steel. You can invite sharpening into your life. Hey, can you push back on this? Hey, anything I'm missing here? You willing to move a lot of dirt for other people because God moved a lot of dirt for you? And you're willing to say, listen, we may disagree on that, but there's something more important to us or family. Something more important to us. we got a common enemy in death and a common solution. None of us want to die. And we know that someone came to earth and defeated death for us. That's what I want for you. I want you to have the best sharpening you can have. So I invite the band to come out and do this next song. And as you hear this song, I think, again, like a lot of the songs we've done in this series, they speak simultaneously to the beauty and wonder of great friends in your life. People that maybe you disagreed with. And maybe you've got some friendship in your life that some friendship died 10 years ago, four years ago. Some relationship between you and a son or daughter died. And you weren't soft enough to apologize. They weren't soft enough to want to reconcile. But when you see how soft God is able to be with us, you say, I want to be the kind of friend to others. (laughs) Not that they were always to me. I want to be the kind of friend to others that God was to me. As you hear the words of this song... You can simultaneously picture your own friendships. But also God saying, whatever we've been through, (laughs) however you've ignored me at times, the minute you call out, I'm ready to restart our friendship. Let's pray. If you want to pray and just ask God for that, say, God, thank you for being willing to listen when I call out to you. Thanks for dying on that cross. (laughs) For the ways I'm not particularly soft, the ways I've ignored you at times, the ways I've thought I knew better than others or you. God, forgive me for that. And thanks for being a friend that doesn't turn your back on me, but rather you died for me. Come into my life and teach me how to be softer so I can be sharper, to help other people, and enjoy you. In Jesus' name, amen.